Well, Trey, thank you for the really uh, over-the-top introduction. Um, it is good to be here, and, uh, and yeah, $20,000 is definitely not my, my normal rate. Um, but no, it's a, it's a privilege to be with you guys. I was just reflecting on the song, and um, thanks for leading us. Can you give a round of applause for the band? And appreciate um, their efforts and, uh, and time in. And if you've ever served as a musician before, you know it's not just like, showing up and strapping on a guitar, but the time and effort that goes into preparing and, and being ready for that. So thank you guys for serving in that way. Um, Trey, thanks for um, just what you do here as lead pastor at, at Harvest Harmony. And uh, um, you are a good friend. And uh, um, it's been cool to get to know Trey over the past about year and a half um, and his family and just see uh, how faithfully um, he serves the Lord. And um, you're an encouragement to me uh, each week when we get a chance to connect. So I appreciate you, man. Um, it's cool to be with you guys. It's been a little while. So um, would, uh, anyway, it's a privilege to be here. Um, I want to just, before diving into our material um, today, just was thinking about the, the song that we just sang. And there's an, there's an element um, of truth, obviously a deep element of truth in each of those songs. But uh, whether it was deliberate or not, there's kind of this common thread um, woven into this time of worship, I feel like, just in the lyrics and the music behind things. And, uh, and I don't know all your stories and what you've walked in here with. Um, for some of you, you may be uh, one of those people that, like, you've been following Jesus for years uh, and maybe decades, and, um, and you've had ups and downs, but you've had this opportunity over a long time to see his faithfulness and how he's provided for you. Um, for others of you, you may be here and you're like, you're open, but that hasn't been your story so far, and you're kind of just on a journey of deciding what this Christian faith really means, and maybe you're kind of trying it on and evaluating, and you're on a, a, a kind of journey to understand who Jesus is really and what that might mean personally for you. And um, wherever you're at on that spectrum, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, and I think the message today and this series that we've been going through as well um, is for all of us wherever we're at on that journey. And uh, um, but just musically, I was thinking of the reality of um, this path that we have, um, where there's truths that we're singing about, but then we're in this position of responding to those truths or not. And so we're singing about Jesus as this king, like this cosmic king, this savior who's paid for our sins, all of these things that, that are true, but they're also only potentially true for us because we're also un invited to respond to that truth. And so you may be on a, a journey where you're kind of figuring that out. And so um, as I pray and we get ready to dive in um, just to the scriptures together, um, I just ask you, be open. Whether you're that person, you've been, you've been following Jesus for decades, uh, or you're just here and evaluating it. Can we all enter in the same place where we're going to just ask God, God, what do you want to say? Uh, and let me hear it. Um, let's just make that our heart. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that I get to be in a place. God, thank you for your, your word in the Bible. And that you give us a way to, to learn who you really are, Jesus, what you've really done. And uh, we, we get to enter in on the same level of broken and messed up and, and sinful and imperfect people who you yet love and have died for. And so I ask that as we read your words, even words of challenge, that we'd hear both the challenge and the heart of love behind them. In our time together, we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, as Trey mentioned, we've been in this teaching series that's called The Good Life, and there's a reality, um, what, if you've been following with Pastor Trey, what he said, like, God wants us to live a good life. Now, I think you 
probably want a good life. I don't typically enter into like a conversation with young adults or uh, older adults who are like, you know what I really want in life is just to kind of have a mediocre existence, just sort of eke by and then eventually die. Like that's my goal, that's the bar. Um, I don't think that's you. Um, I, uh, I, sarcastically though, I will say in high school, I remember this season a little bit where my, my thought was like, what is the key to happiness? And it was, it was low expectations, right? Like that's the key to have, just low expectations, right? And then you can crush those expectations. I don't think that's actually true. And hopefully um, you're not as cynical as I was um, as a young person, but the good life. Now, here's the challenge though. If God wants you to live a good life, you want to live a good life. Why is it that it seems so hard to actually live a good life, right? Shouldn't that somehow just be easier? And, uh, you know, in the series we even mentioned before that, that Jesus himself said that he wanted you to live the good life. The way he put it was he had come so that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. But here's the thing, in the uh, same context of that statement, he also said that there's an enemy. We have a real enemy in his, his role, his job. He's come to steal and to kill and destroy that same life. And so throughout the series, as we're looking at these uh, seven letters in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, they're to seven letters, to seven churches, these kind of seven words of Jesus um, that all point toward his instructions, that point toward a good life. Um, there's a common thread throughout all seven that this life is really only possible as we follow Jesus into it that he's the author of life, um, that he's the one who knows the route to the good life, and that uh, he's actually the way to it. And so um, we are invited to follow him into that good life. We don't just stumble into it by accident. So uh, if you want to get ready, if you have like a Bible app and you're going to follow along, we'll be in Revelation chapter 3. It's also going to be on the screens um, over here. But as you find that little context, this letter that we're reading is written to a church in a city called Sardis. And this church in this letter um, the, that it's written to, the city had like an interesting history. Uh, if you go back about like 500 years before Revelation was written, it was a, an immensely rich um, city in a rich uh, kingdom. And this uh, king over a kingdom at one point uh, was a guy named Cros. Uh, Croesus. And Croesus was known um, and kind of famous for being really wealthy and rich. Um, he was also known, like I have in my pocket, a quarter. Um, he was also known for uh, developing really the first like pure coin process, like for silver and gold coins. So it was an, at one point in time an immensely rich um, city um, that ended up kind of on decline. And, and one of those things that happened over the centuries, there were three times like leading up to when this New Testament letter was written, um, where Croesus, even uh, Sardis, even though it was like seemingly an impenetrable city, was actually uh, taken over and conquered three times over the course of three centuries. And uh, so the city, though, was, was built on like a mountain spur. It was almost in, like unassailable th in three different directions, really hard to get to. There was a lot of confidence in the defenses of that city. But in one of the last times prior to this letter being written, that it was taken over. It was by the Persian army um, under Cyrus. And at the time, remember the gold coin guy? Um, that king was in a battle with Cyrus and the Persians. It wasn't going too well for him, but he retreated to a stronghold in, in this city that this letter is written to. And there was this high level of confidence that that was, that was going to be um, successful for him. There's no way that the troops are going to get there. And it seemed like that was going to be the case. Like Cyrus kept actually even like, bribing his soldiers. Like if anyone could actually um, get to the stronghold, get to the city, he promised uh, them lots of money and rewards, but they were always unsuccessful. And then history, the story goes like this. 
There was this one night, though, that a soldier in this impenetrable city dropped his helmet from the wall. And thinking that no one was watching, he saw where it landed down below and walked down what was a secret path to his helmet. Well, unfortunately, uh, the way history tells it, uh, someone from the Persian army, a soldier, observed him and watched the path back up and then rallied troops to go with him, and they attacked the city by night. uh, And once again, the city fell. And so this is a little context for the written um, letter into this um, this city, and it's going to make a little bit of sense when John writes what he does in the words of Jesus Um, to it. So let's get started, though. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. You can read with me on the screen. It says this, uh, to the angel of the church of Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Um, You may remember if you've been tracking along with this that some of that's familiar, but um, there's a reference to Jesus Christ. He's the one speaking to the church, right? This letter is his words to this Um, church, and he references the seven spirits of God that came up a little earlier in chapter 1, verse 4, which is not to say that God has literally seven spirits, but has this idea of the sevenfold, like, fullness of God. He's writing about the Holy Spirit in his fullness. So Jesus is the one who is able to send the Holy Spirit. Um, Those seven stars also signify Jesus' um, concern to the churches. That came up in one of the earlier letters uh, as well. Um, But here's the point. Um, John, right off the bat, is giving us a sense of authority of Jesus who speaks. Um, He's saying Jesus is the one who has at his authority the Holy Spirit. Um, This church that he's writing to, it's his church. He's the one who carries authority, who also carries concern, who walks amongst it. And so these are Jesus' very personal words to his church. Now let's do this. I want to walk the rest of the way through this letter, and then we're going to kind of unpack it together. So let's continue reading in chapter 1. He says this about the church. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, he says, that you have received what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess, he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's what we're going to see in this passage of just give you a little lay of the land where we're headed. The bottom line is, is this. I think you can read this with me on the screen. We're talking about the good life, but the good life in this letter, the good life is a spirit-empowered uh, life. The good life is a spirit-empowered life. You can look alive on the outside, but only the spirit brings, restores real life. So the letter is written as Jesus, the one who has at his authority the sending of the Holy Spirit, There's a a letter written to, again, this church that um, what he says, if we bounce back to verse 1, that he says, I know your works, that you have a a reputation, um, catch that word, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. A reputation for being alive, but you are are dead. In other words, they they have a name, they have a reputation, they have a good name. They're known for something, and it's actually positive. Um, 
at the uh, format of each of these letters, usually there's like a statement about Jesus. We have that, like who he is, that helps us understand this letter. Then typically there's some kind of like, this is what you're doing a good job of as a church. Then he gets to this some stuff that you need to work on as a church. Um, unfortunately for, for Sardis in this church, his section for this is what you're doing is a good job. Um, the positive part of the letter is really like a false positive. It's a, it's a negative. Like the closest he can come to the positive is people think that you're doing really well and that you're alive. Like you look really good on the outside, but you're really dead on the inside. And so he goes on to share um, why. And again, the bottom line we said is that you can look alive on the outside, but only the spirit uh, restores real life. You know, it's, it's also interesting in, in Sardis as a city, one of the things it was known for is this um, celebration through uh, Artemis, kind of this temple to Artemis, the cycles of life and death and life and death is just this sort of seasonal thing that happens. That was one of the main religious ways that, you know, non-Christians in that city would celebrate kind of religious practices dealt with life and, and death and anchored in this, uh, this false god Artemis. And, and the John and Jesus, his words in the letter are saying, you know, like, you actually do look dead, and you're going to be restored to life, but it's, it's Jesus, like not your God Artemis, that's going to be the one who restores life, and it's actually through the Holy Spirit that he would send to have real life. And here's what he says in verse 2. He says, wake up. Look at your, uh, someone sitting next to you. Say, hey, wake up. All right, look at someone on the other side. Say, hey, wake up. Okay. Now, maybe you needed to hear that in a deep way. Maybe you just needed more coffee. But here's in a much more deep way than I need like coffee to wake up. He's saying, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete. So there's works that they're known for. Um, this church has a reputation. It sounds like it's a positive one. Um, they may have actually been, been known as people who did a good job by other churches. You look on the outside and maybe they were known for their charitable deeds or, or their service or their, their giving. They, they had a positive reputation. They looked alive on the outside, but Jesus knew the state of the church. And he said, you are, you are on the verge of death. Wake up and strengthen what remains. And that word he says, I have not found your works. What is that word? It's not there on the screen. I've not found your works complete. I've not found your works complete. Um, that, that word in the Greek also has this idea that they're empty they're, or, or full, so they're not full. I have not found your words full. Uh, how many of you, any of you like breakfast cereal people, a box of cereal in the morning? All right. At some point, I shifted, but I spent, you know, the first probably 35 years of my life, almost every morning, that's what I did. It was like a bowl of cereal. That's how you start your morning. Uh, at some point, I went away from that, but every now and then, I'm still like, you know what? I'm going to have a bowl of cereal this morning. All right, so I have, we have five kids in our house presently that eat a lot of cereal, and so we tend to have, like, lots of box choices of cereal because they have different preferences, and my wife's theory is, like, it all gets eaten eventually, so we'll just buy what everybody wants and eventually gets eaten, right? Uh, if you, so five kids, if you notice what looked like the church van outside, that's um, not Harvest's van. That's our family van because we're nerdy like that, and at some point, we realize every time a, one of our kids wants to bring a friend, we have to drive two cars where we're going, so we just bought a big van and pile them in, so, um, but we have a lot of kids that eat a lot of cereal, um, but there are times where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have some cinnamon life this morning. And I get the box of cereal out of the pantry, and it looks good on the outside. And then I open it up. Have you ever been here before, parents or kids? There's an, like an empty bag inside with just some crumbs. How disappointing, right? So I, 
usually don't have cereal. I get excited for some reason. I'm going to have my cinnamon life. And then the box is empty. And I want to know, like, what kid, like, what kid ate the last of the life? And, and we've got a system in our house. You write the thing on the little board, and then, like, mom will remember to put it in the next order. So somebody finished the bowl of cereal, finished the life and cereal in the box, and didn't write it on the board. And so now it's my turn, and I got nothing, all right? So it's frustrating when you want a bowl of cereal, and you think you're going to have it, and you don't. But I think from Jesus' perspective, he's a lot more concerned. And he was a lot more frustrated in this situation where he's kind of like pulled the, this church off the box and he looks inside and says, you look good on the outside, but you need to wake up. You're missing real life on the inside. How is it possible to do the right things but miss the most important thing? Let's look at this a little bit further together. So their problem was... Um, they look good on the outside, but not on the inside. And you can read this with me on the screen, that sometimes, sometimes we actually run away from God by doing the wrong things, all right? Maybe that's some of your story. Like, you're, you're running away from God looked a lot like the obvious sins. There are sometimes we run away from God by doing the wrong things, but there are other times that we run away from God doing the right things. That was more my story growing up. I grew up in a Christian family, and uh, I was also one of five kids. I was on the younger side of those kids. And uh, anybody grow up with, like, lots of kids, siblings in your family? Any other large family people in here? Just me? All right. Okay. There's some. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So maybe you've related where it's like, if you're one of those younger kids, you kind of have to find your lane. Like, what's the lane I'm going to run in to kind of get attention in this family and get my needs met? And um, so in, when it comes to that, I sort of, as an adult, realized I sort of picked this, this lane of what's called the saint. Um, I wasn't actually really that good, but that was my thing. Like, I was the kid that didn't get in trouble. Um, I was the kid that tried to mend, you know, make peace in the family household and those, those things. But here was, here was the problem. As I grew older and into my young adult years, I realized there was, there was a part of my life and a part of my church journey that, like, I, I could do all the right things. I knew the things to say and the words to say. But when it came to really trusting Jesus like really having a personal relationship with Jesus, I was empty inside. And, and, and so I, I knew him, I knew a lot about him, but it wasn't until some wrestle in like my older high school years that I realized like my understanding of Jesus up here, like had to actually come through to a change in my life here. That I didn't just know things about him, but I knew him and, and chose to follow him. It's possible to run away from God doing the wrong things, but for some of you, maybe you relate to my story, where you can still run away from God and doing the right things and trying to keep it together and be positive and to be a good dad or to be a good provider, to be a great boss, to do those things, to succeed as a student, um, to get good grades. And you might work on doing the right things, but still detached from the life that God gives and a focus on him. I think this is part of the picture of, of this church. And, and Jesus is saying, you need to wake up. Your works are incomplete in the sight of my God. A little, uh, any rock and roll listeners in here, you can say that in church. It's okay. A little, okay. A little rock and roll history, and then I'm going to explain why this matters other than just an interesting tis, uh, tidbit of history. So um, there's in the 1960s, there became a new sound that um, you think of when you think of some of the greatest rock and roll bands of like the 60s and 70s, but through this thing called the fuzz box. Um, but originally, this was actually, I don't know if you know the history of how that came about, was actually started in a mistake in a recording. And so in uh, 1960, a bassist named Grady Martin was recording a riff for a Marty Robinson song called Don't Worry. Anybody know that song? 
If so, great. Um, if no, not, I didn't either. Okay. When his amplifier malfunctioned and it created a heavy distorted sound we now call a fuzz tone. Uh, initially, Robinson wanted to remove it from the song, but the producer persuaded him to keep it. Maybe they were on a budget, I don't know. Um, but that song, that sound, actually became very catchy, and people tried to figure out, what was this crazy different sound? Was that, a, was that like a different instrument? Was it a guitar? And it became uh, uh, so popular that there was actually then the start of what was the deliberate approach to distortion and fuzz and took off in music, all right? So here's the thing, though. That distorted sound had a great appeal to it. Now, here's the thing. How is it that we can look so good on the outside but maybe still be dead on the inside? How is it that we can do the right things but miss the Holy Spirit's power in our, in our lives when it comes to leading the good life? I think one of, those, one of the ways that we get there is that we can have a distorted view of Jesus, may have a picture of Jesus, an, an understanding of Jesus that is, it's distorted. It's like it's going through a fuzz filter in a fuzz tone, and, and we don't see Jesus the way he, he really is, and so we don't experience the life that he really has for us. One of those kinds of fuzz tones you might think of is what um, one other Christian author calls the holiday Jesus. The holiday Jesus. The holiday Jesus is a lot like Santa Claus. Like, for us, for some of you, you may have grown up in kind of like a, a religious family or a, or a Christian family, and, and there are things that we like about Jesus, that we know about Jesus, but maybe he's kind of like Santa Claus. Like, he, he wants good things for us. He gives gifts, and, but you know what you don't really expect Santa Claus to do is, like, tell you what to do with your life. Um, so I, I think sometimes we have this idea of Jesus where we might even like the idea of Jesus as our Savior, but we wrestle with this idea of, like, Jesus is our King, who gets to show up and tell us what to do. And that when he says something, it has authority over our lives. Do we relate to Jesus more like Santa Claus or more like a king of our lives? And as believers, we've entered into his kingdom. And so as king in our kingdom, in our new lives, like we get our marching orders from him and, and we get to take our requests to him and he provides for us as a king and that's good too, but he also tells us what to do. And the route to that good life is actually through what he, through what he says. We're going to look at a passage together that helps us get an idea of the kind of life as we allow Jesus to be king over us, to send his spirit to us, what that starts to look like. Um, you can read with me on the screen from Galatians. This might be familiar to some of you um, as we talk about the fruit of the spirit. Um, it's in a New Testament letter, Galatians chapter 5. He says this about the fruit of the spirit. Look at these words here. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are hard to fake on the inside. I can... I can do a good job being around people and, and work to be loving and do the right thing. But there are times in my heart where I know, like, my heart was not in the right place. When you look at that list, what about that for you? And what about love? Do you find that you're trying to do the right things, but, but your heart isn't really in the right place? What about joy? Joy, I mean, when it comes to the season of life, do you feel like you're you're playing the game, or, but it's like you're, 
your joy in it's just gone. Whether that's directly in your relationship with Jesus or in your marriage or in your relationships. Is there a sense of joy or peace? Oh, man. I mean, think about your decision-making right now. Is it through a lens of peace? I've got a king and a kingdom, and he's under control. We're in this season right now. We're in a place where the decisions that you make, um, they're through a lens of, like, anxiety. Are you making decisions based off of fear? How is your... How is your peace? I mean, we could go on and on through that list, but here's, here's the reality. Those are things that we can't like just directly work on and just directly change in our life. They're described as fruit of the Spirit. They're the things that the Holy Spirit, as we give him time in our lives, as we relate to Jesus, not just as, a, as like a Santa Claus who helps us when we need us, but who's king and has authority and power in our lives. As we lean into him, do we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside? Again, he said to this church, wake up and strengthen what remains because they're on the verge uh, of death. As I was preparing this um, passage, I was thinking of a movie. This was a movie that uh, I loved in high school. It became kind of like a, a cult favorite, like in my generation of high school kids. Maybe you've seen this movie before, Princess Bride, but this is one of my favorite scenes. I think we're ready for it for the guys in the back. Watch this. All right. I, I realized some of our kids hadn't seen this movie, and that was like my line. They'd be headed out to school and have fun storming the castle, and they had no idea what I was talking about. Like, oh, we need to watch this movie, your childhood. You've been robbed of this joy of this movie. But no, here's, here's the thing. I have this picture, right, of the, uh, Max the Miracle Worker, who's, who has a, a human who looks dead, but he's not dead yet. 
So there's one lens as we look at this passage and Jesus looking at the church where we could say, he just seems negative. Like they look good on the outside and here he is like negatively saying, you look so good on the outside, but you're really dead on the inside. But the flip of that, the love of King Jesus is that he knows this this church isn't dead yet. They may be mostly dead on the inside, but that he has the ability. He knows there's a big difference between mostly dead and dead. And his word of warning, his word of exhortation is so that that no, nearly dead, that mostly dead church would wake up, would be strengthened. And look at these last three words in this passage together. And I think the Lord may want to challenge you and us both to look at these personally, um, but to also think of them as a local church. How do we do these three things together? We're going to look at, um, still in this passage of Revelation 3, uh, and look at verse 3. And these, there's three key words here. He says, remember, keep, and repent. All right, say out loud with me. Remember, remember keep, keep, and repent. He says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Remember, keep, and repent. Remember first. Remember what? He says, what you've heard. Uh, remember the gospel is the way we could put that. Remember the good news of Jesus and what he has done. We remember, as um, is written in a letter to Timothy, um, chapter 2, verse 8 and 10, similarly, this pastor, older pastor to a younger pastor, is reminding Timothy in this verse, he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel. You see the good news of Jesus and who he is, that Jesus fulfills this long promise of how in the world God's going to help messed up and broken sinful people become restored with him again. And that Jesus shows up fulfilling these promises God had made throughout history and centuries that someday God is going to come in a real and personal way and make right what no one else could and, and fix what was broken. And so we were told we need to remember. Remember the good news of Jesus is both that he's our savior and that he's reigning as king. That yes, he died for our sins, that he also rose again to new life. And so he has the authority in heaven and earth. He sends his Holy Spirit to us. We are told to remember the gospel. There's a practical way that um, in this passage, we're told to remember the gospel. If you think about this from a church side of things, not just an individual, how do we as a church body remember the gospel? Well, one of the ways we have to do that is we have to pass it on, right? So who is it that we're sharing Jesus with? We remember the gospel as one disciple and follower of Jesus shares that and, and develops another. We pass on the gospel. We need to remember. We also need to keep, um, to keep the faith. We remember the gospel, he says, and also keep it. This word for keep has this idea of like strengthening what remains to help something that's wobbly stand up. And so we need to not just remember who Jesus really is and why he's such good news. We need to work to keep the faith. And we do that as we live in obedience. Trey mentioned next week that uh, y'all are celebrating a baptism service here. Baptism is a celebration of somebody who remembers the gospel, has responded to Jesus as their savior, uh, it's also a way that we get to say, like, we are now on the team for King Jesus. It's not just that we um, say, yes, our sins are forgiven, that's part of it, but it's also saying, you know what? I'm now under his authority, and I'm giving my life to following him. So practical step for, for some of you in the room, um, you may need to take that step of baptism. Like, maybe somewhere on your journey, you've said yes to following Jesus, but for whatever reason, you've just never made that public and, and taken the next step of following him 
through baptism. If that's you, connect with Trey um, at the end of the service. We'd love to help you get involved in, in that step. So he says to remember, he says to keep. And then that third word there is to repent. One way to think of repentance is to lean into God, to turn from whatever else we're focused on and our lives are dedicated toward and to turn toward him instead, to trust him, to lean into him. And so we, um, we repent by turning away from so many other things, not just the sin in our lives, but we also repent as we turn away from the idea that we're good enough, um, that we somehow can work to be made right with God. Um, I have this coin I mentioned, not just because of the reference to that king who minted coins, uh, but I don't know about you, I don't usually carry cash in my pocket. Um, everything's like an Apple Pay or a credit card. Um, but a while ago, I started just carrying a coin in my pocket as a way to kind of remember um, some truths that are hard for me at times to think of that are both true at the same time and they feel different. So a coin has a front and a back. And, and for me, when I feel this coin in my pocket or quarter in my pocket, um, it's just kind of like a mnemonic device in this season of life where I'm remembering this twofold side of, of repentance and faith. Um, repentance and faith, like on one side, like I trust that, man, like I, uh, I'm saved by Jesus. There's nothing I can do that's gonna interrupt my relationship. There's no condemnation for me in this life. And on the other side of that, same coin is this idea of repentance. Like, I've turned away, though, from the sin, and, and I've turned toward God, and so now he owns me, and he's king of my life. And it's this reminder of, of both together. And I want to um, encourage you, wherever you're at on this journey, for you in here, some of you, you might need kind of to focus on one of those sides of the coin today and take a step. And perhaps that you're here, and, and you've never really before been in a spot where you've said, Jesus, I... I actually trust you as my savior, that I know that there are sins and things that I've done wrong against you, but I, but I wanna receive from you the offer of forgiveness of those sins. And maybe you've just never before taken that step of him. In just a moment, I wanna pray for you. Others of you on this other side of it, you, you may need to hear God's word of repentance that's part of just the ongoing way you need to follow him. And that you can think of a time where, yeah, I've, I've trusted Jesus as my savior, but the reality is when you think about your life right now, you need to hear that word to wake up and to restore and to repent. And we need to turn back. And, and maybe what you need to do is say, God, there are just things that I'm hanging on to that I keep you out of, and I don't want you in that way of life. And what I want to do in this moment is say, you get all of me. And so I repent from trying to just give you the lane of my forgiveness, but I try to preserve I get to do what I want with my marriage or with my relationships or with my finances. And you may need to repent today and just say, Lord, I want you to be truly king over all of me. So with just a moment together, will you bow your heads where you're at? Just a way of paying attention to the Lord. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes as well, just to focus on him. And I would pray first for those of you that there may be someone in this room who you just know, I know I'm wrong before God. I know the things that I've done wrong. And I want to trust in this moment, Jesus, as my Savior. If that's you, I just want you to pray this prayer where you're at between you and Jesus. You can say something like this. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross, not for your sins, but for mine. I know that I've done wrong against you. I ask, would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you take control? And from this day forward, the best way I know how, would you be king over me and in charge? 
still with eyes closed and heads bowed, just as a way of acknowledgement, if that's you in the room, I would love not to leave this place and just know who that is I've prayed for. If, if you've taken that step just in this moment, will you just raise your hand? It's just me looking around. I'd just love to know if that's you today. But said, Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sins and be my savior. Praise God for that. I see your hand there. You can put that down. Now, there are some of you um, that you just may even need to say, Jesus, I, I came to church this morning, and there's a reality. There's a lot of my life. I just want to say, take it. I, I've trusted you. I, I know I've been following you, but there's these things that I just want you to be king over. I want your spirit to lead and to give me life. If that's you, well, you can just pray something like this. Lord, I, I turn away from, I repent from the parts of things that I've just tried to keep you out of. I can relate to being mostly dead in maybe some of these areas in this relationship or this thing, and what I want is your life. And so I'm going to trust you and say, hey, you can have it. You can have uh, every part of me, my financial plans, my marriage, my sense of vocation and calling and job. Lord, take it. Lead me. And for all of us here in this place, I just want to praise a prayer. There's these closing words um, in each of these letters about Jesus who loves us, who calls us into a good life, but he wants us to hear and to, re- and to obey and to respond. In verse 6, he says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just take a moment still with your eyes closed. God has been speaking some words to some of you. He who has an ear, she who has an ear to hear, Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we're going to sing together. Will you stand up where you are? And let me just keep praying for you for a moment as we do that. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus, I thank you um, that your words are words of life. Jesus, I thank you that you are uh, the name beyond all names. That our hope in life and in death is that we are not our own, but we belong to you. And so, Jesus, I pray for each one of us that we would repent and that would feel joyful um, to know that we turn away from things that weren't working anyway and that we would celebrate you, lift you up. And as we do that, Lord, by the power of your spirit, let us respond to the words that you speak to us. In your great name we pray. Amen.